and we're back with episode 52 from Panoramic Outdoors. Got myself here, Tristan, and uh, Chase is here as well, doing the intro. What's up? And uh, Sheldon joined us from Brandon. Hey, hello. And uh, before we get on to today's guest, a uh, uh, gentleman from out west there that joined us to talk about a hunting-related app, or, you know, I use it for angling myself too, but uh, maybe I had a, three burning questions for you guys here. Oh, sure. And, and I <laughs> can't wait to talk about them. So the first question is, what's on the grill? What's on the grill? Sheldon, you go You go first on this one. You got something loaded up for it? Uh, not really loaded up right now. Actually, I um, just got back from my, a fishing trip, so I'm trying to get back into the swing of things. And I had a golf tournament this past weekend as well, so I've been... Uh, haven't been eating at home that much. I've been on the road and doing lots of other things. So you might have to answer this one, Chase. Okay. Well, I'll go for it. Yeah, we did uh, last weekend. I did up a uh, a full front shoulder from uh, the buck that I shot with my dad. And I smoked it for about four hours and then finished it off in, in the oven because I didn't have a container that would fit into the pit barrel because I had to add some sauces and stuff to it, some vegetables and kind of got it to that fall off the bone kind of spot and made some uh carnitas i believe they're called man they were deadly yeah they were amazing so it's pretty much just a, a burrito and uh a next level burrito the uh the things getting cooked in that pit barrel for so long not only break it down but that crisp on the outside and that smoke infused flavor it, it adds a nice that nice bark on there right it's a whole different thing from doing your like tacos in like the slow cooker or something yeah. like that, right? It's just and, unreal. And the sweet thing too was I saw it, I made way too much food, so I was eating your shoulder for like a week, which was perfectly fine. But uh, I also used some of the leftovers and made some uh, uh, huevos rancheros. Oh yeah, huevos rancheros. I don't know. That's don't exactly know. how you pronounce that. There we go. And uh, <laughs> yeah, those are next level with that smoked meat in there. Cooked it up in the potatoes and put that underneath. I will say two things quick. Um, first of all, when I was on this fishing trip, my cousin Scotty was telling me that he listened to the Jordan Tutu podcast. And in that podcast, Tutu says that his, one of his favorite meats is uh, raw caribou. So Scott said that he went, took out a, a piece of caribou from his 2018 or 2019 caribou harvest. And he said he couldn't do it raw, so he just like kind of flame kissed it on the on the over the fire actually and he said it was unreal he said it was really good and uh yeah he said it was kind of a, a neat thing to try and the other thing i'm going to add to is annette was telling me that she was really uh impressed with the uh, smoked peaches and jalapeno and ice cream and stuff oh yeah that looked really that looked really good there so yeah that was really good yeah those would be deadly nice touch for sure you fired up the pit barrel this week eh yeah yeah i had a big dinner there and uh did up a couple racks of ribs and, and a whole chicken, and then I threw in some Smokies for good measure too. But uh, we got her cooked up real good. I was actually kind of amazed. My first time using it, how easy it was to use, and uh, just cooked it low and slow for about four or five hours, and it came out beautifully. Good flavor, man. Yeah, yeah. And that's on our Instagram too, folks want to take a look. And uh, just a reminder, if you're interested in getting a pit barrel, they uh, you can check them out online, pitbarrel.com pitbarrelcooker.com or uh, I noticed that Melissa snuck one from Lux Barbecue in Winnipeg. April went to get them but apparently they're sold out. Maybe they're back in stock now but 
I'm sure they'll be sending some up very soon for sure. She's actually, I just seen on her Instagram, she's got it fired up right now. So she's got going in there. Yeah, she's a creative force there. So I'm sure there'll, there'll be some good meals on there. Sheldon, are you trying to drink your way out of your basement right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I was super lucky that uh, there's really no flooding where I'm staying. But Brandon got hit huge here yesterday with a storm. And I think uh, like six inches of rain here. And then north of Brandon, I think. Like up north of Minnedosa, they got like ten inches of rain. Oh, so there's lots, lots of water flowing right now, and lots of roads out. So, yikes! That's wild. Well, and they're and they're calling for another big storm again tonight, and then I guess again on uh, Tuesday night too. So, yikes! Man. Could be crazy. Could be scary, man. Hopefully, uh, everyone's safe out there, and everyone's doing all right. And obviously, there's some damage happening. Yeah, but, yeah. But speaking about drinking, that leads us into our second burning question, and that is, what is on tap? Good question. I've really been uh, digging those Trans Canada Cherry County Sours. I was going to ask you because I tried it and loved it, and I'm that kind of got me jacked up for their. That's part of their Country Sour series, right? And they're just releasing their Raspberry Sour this week Ooh. as well, too. So I think both of those flavors would kind of be a good, like, nice summer drink. I could probably drink a lot of those that we're dealing with right now. <laughs> oh yeah, pedal down, skinny yeah. pedal down. Yeah. When I was in that golf tournament this weekend, the Rosebort 2020, um, Nepal Golf Country Club has uh, Trans Canada as well. So I was enjoying a few on the golf course. They got the the lamp lighter in the can there. Yeah. And the nice thing about those, like they're they're 355 milliliter cans. Like they're not the big ones, like other uh, oh, local yeah, beer yeah. beer places. So they don't like go flat. And when it's 30 some degrees out, they get drank pretty quick too. But totally. Yeah, if you're if you're ever out and about, go to Nepal Golf Country Club and try a beer on their deck. Have nice. you guys tried the Confederation Ale? I know that that's like their Canada Day special. No, I haven't. I I slid into. I think they have a, an American Pale Ale. American Pale, yeah. That uh, this is the first time I tried it last week. Very good. Yeah. All right, and then on to the last burning question here, which is what's on the iPod slash record player these days? Good, uh, good question. Um, Sheldon, you go. You go. Um, well, let's just start out by saying that I started a TikTok account, so. I've been listening and watching a lot of TikTok, so I got a lot of like new like dun, summer vibe dun, songs dun, off there. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, like so I'm just practicing dance moves and stuff like that. But <laughs> anyways, yeah, like on my iPod uh, or iPad or whatever, I'm still listening to a lot of Dell, not Adele, but Dell Barber. Yeah. Uh, so listening to a lot of him and like I don't know some of that old old school country and and like kind of like folk music. I'm actually getting out of like modern day country as it's kind of like too much pop for me right now but mm-hmm. i'm sure i'll get back in the country here in a few months i've that's how i am with music i just go back and forth all the time so what kind of old school stuff are you listening to like tyler childers i don't know is it childers or childers yeah I listen to lots of lots of them and or lots of him and like uh found another cool guy um his name's kane incognito and he's from edmonton i've been listening to a lot of him too cool. he's not country he's kind of like a rock storyteller type guy too so mm-hmm. if you're ever looking for a new one check him out slick man nice mm-hmm. yeah i always dell is always on like the he's like a solid go-to for sure um i've been listening to kind of same thing as sheldon a little mix mix it up kind of uh kind of folky indie but like off the beaten trail country stuff too so um some uh how can i think of the song right now <laughs> uh south side of heaven 
Oh, yeah. Um, I can't remember the artist's name, but that's pretty much listened to that one every day. Uh, and that's, uh, yeah, that kind of thing. I've, uh, I've found myself, yeah, some of my routine, or morning routine, I should say, is uh, I got a couple of Dell LPs that he sent my way. And uh, nice. I could just, there's something kind of cool about just putting on an LP in the morning to start your work day and having a cup of coffee. So a little bit, you know, a little better than having to fight traffic some days. To get, to get into the office, um, working from home. But uh, Corb just dropped a new or finished dropping the rest of his album there, so I've been listening to that quite a bit. Oh, I gotta get that. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, he's got a good uh, a good duet on there. The uh, I think you should drink whiskey one, and uh, that one's worth checking out. And I hate to say it, but like ever since I watched this um, kind of doc documentary on the band, once we're brothers, that was put out after. Um, their last waltz. I've just been. I've basically listened to their entire collection over and over again for the last month. But uh, just extremely influential group for me. So, uh, yeah, just good music. Nice. Well, that that was the three burners, guys, and you guys actually made it through it. Not bad. So, congrats. <laughs> it's a lot harder than I than I kind of thought. Yeah. These poor guests. We give them five, and no wonder they scramble sometimes. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> a little empathy building exercise there for sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, but on to our guest here. So for 52, we brought on Mark Stenroos from iHunter. And uh, Mark helped, well, he created the app and uh, developed it and is now working with his uh, brother there Yeah. to uh, deliver it to Canadians and not only Canadians, but in, in America too. Man, I'm super happy that there was a dude out there that had a vision and had the tools and the know-how to put this put that app together because it's it's fastly become one of the most important tools in my in my tickle trunk for hunting and it really just does a lot mm -hmm. for... and who, who who would be like the elkiest guy you know keefster the keefster <laughs> and he, he is Erickson. yeah and he's he's a pretty avid user of the iHunter app too. So I think that's saying something. If he's out in the bush all the time, yeah, tracking elk in Interlake Bush, that th there's some value in that app. Yeah. So take a take a listen here. Uh, you get to kind of get a peek behind a curtain of of what we deem to be a very valuable app for not only hunting but fishing enthusiasts in Manitoba and Alberta, all across Canada. Really, they're they're constantly working to improve the app and. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, they you know they have a website where you can take a look at things there as well, and that'll be posted in the show notes. But otherwise, uh, big thanks to Mark for coming on, and hope you enjoy the episode, folks. All right, so we're on to uh, episode 52 here of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast, and we'd like to welcome Mark Stenroos from iHunter. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me, Tristan. Yeah, and so we're sitting down here with Chase as well. Uh, Sheldon's up north at the moment uh, fishing, so unfortunately he can't join us, but uh, he might have uh, be having a little R&R &R at the moment. Yeah, uh, it sounds like a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's been kind of a long haul with uh, COVID and everything, so I know I was just I just came back from the paw myself, and it was really nice to just get away and you know, kind of uncheck from all that kind of baggage for a little while. Uh, have you been out lately, Mark, or...? Uh, yeah, I was at the uh, 
my dad's got some property up northwest of Edmonton. So I was up there with the kids for three or four nights uh, last week, just building out the cabin that we have up there. We've got like a little barn and sleeping area. So we were just finishing siding that and doing some work around the place. That sounds like a pretty sweet spot to hang out already. It is. And I, I think that the, the best part of it is there's no cell reception. So <laughs> it actually forces you to take a break. Like it's a, you know, it's a kilometer from cell, cell reception. So if you really need something like I, my wife is eight months pregnant, uh, so I can go and I can check in on her and see like, you know, we're still good. We're still good. I can stay <laughs> up here for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but the rest of the day I can just turn off and that's the best part of it. I think that's sweet. I mean, it's, it's almost like uh, subconsciously you don't even notice it, but but it's it's very beneficial for your mental health to be able to do that. And like if if even if you're you're thinking you're going up there for, for some relaxation and you still have cell service, you know you're going to be sitting in that cabin just checking your checking the the feeds every once in a while too. And it's nice to step away from that. Yeah, I think the time before I went, I actually forgot my phone uh, at home and we were like, uh, you know, 30 <laughs> kilometers out of town kind of thing. And I realized I didn't have my phone. and I was just like, great, like this is even better. Now I can put all that responsibility on my wife who was with me on that trip and she can keep in touch with people and I don't have to do. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, I don't know if that's a great ad for your uh, for your business here because you do run the the iHunter program. So you might not want to forget your phone at home if you're if you're an iHunter enthusiast. And we'll talk about iHunter in a few here. But uh, I don't know if you participated or listened to any of the podcasts before, Mark. But we do uh, like to ask our guests five burning questions at the forefront to uh, break the ice a little. And uh, they're meant to be quick responses, but often they do trail on for a while. Um, and, uh, and I like, have heard those. Uh, yeah, I've listened to quite a few of your, your guys' podcasts so far. It's really good content, and I really like it. I really liked your last uh, last guest, episode 50. Oh, yeah. With Dr. Dr. Steve. Yeah, he was really good. He was hilarious. Yeah. What yeah. a character. I don't think we've ever had foreskin on the show so many times. So. <laughs> Horskin ticks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've had nightmares though, so maybe I should bill him for that. But yeah. Uh, Chase, you got the questions lined up there? I got the questions lined up here. And uh, yeah, let's roll with them. So you're planning out your last meal, Mark. What's what's going to be on the plate? I don't think my last meal would be much different than like, you know, a regular around the house. Like, you know, doing some sort of a, a wild game tenderloin uh lots of salt lots of pepper seared on seared in the frying pan maybe some potatoes in the oven similar potatoes carrots peppers mixed up oil salt and pepper something simple like that nice. it's uh i'd say it's a staple around here and something that the kids love you have that much tenderloin lying around uh, i usually yeah i usually have uh some some lying around but it's not it's not every <laughs> week I, I can guarantee that <laughs> I, I swear most of our disappears in camp uh we get a deer and the, the loins usually go on that night kind of scenario that's awesome yeah the venison tenderloin doesn't last long no. but uh the uh the moose one was big yeah the moose and the elk definitely you get a couple more meals out of them or at least a couple more bodies around the table when you things out who are you going to be hanging out with when you're uh if you're having your last meal i think sheldon usually asks this one alive or dead right alive or dead we'll yeah, say so we'll say uh Anybody like uh, whoever you're. Stuck. Sorry, this is a last. This is a last meal. Yeah, you yeah. sit down with a meal for anyone is basically what it comes down to. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't really have any uh, desire to like, you know, hang out with some famous person or anything like that. I would say, uh, hopefully, you know, my parents are still alive at that point and uh, I'll, I'll have it with them or my wife or kids or just family, like people that I would normally hang out with. Like, I'm not really one to, you know, idolize some, uh, some other figure. I'd rather somebody that's, you know, in my life. Cool. Right on. Good answer. Um, obviously you're a bit of a hunter and, uh, we were having a bit of conversation earlier about your, your archery moose there, but if you had, uh, your dream hunt to go on, no limits, where, where are you going and what are you going after with what? Uh, it's a, it's a, Every September, it's archery elk hunting, and I'm never successful. Uh, so, <laughs> so I'd say uh, being successful on one of uh, my early early season archery elk hunts would be fantastic. And, uh, you know, in Alberta, we don't really have need to go on, like, giant trips somewhere else. Like, we have almost everything here and great opportunity and uh, great season. So if, if you're an archery hunter in Alberta, you've got almost unlimited opportunity. You can, uh, you can hunt elk, you can hunt moose, you can hunt, uh, sheep, um, with archery equipment, uh, basically without a draw in many zones. Um, moose is getting less, uh, less available. There's only a couple zones you can do that, but, um, yeah. So I'd say just an early season ar- archery hunt, uh, hopefully successful on elk. That doesn't sound like a bad spot to be in. We're definitely in the uh, the elkless um, archery, archery elk hunt club. <laughs> so yeah. we're still working towards that goal too. And it's definitely one of our favorite hunts to do also. So It's like this maddening affair really though. Because you're like, it's so... Anyone who's done it, I think, can connect instantly with the energy and the passion that's involved in hunting elk. It's weird hours and they're screaming at you and you're getting into like basically like yelling matches with this animal and you're there with a bow so it's just like this really intimate frustrating experience you have to get so tight on you can see them you can smell them you can almost taste them but we haven't harvested one yet we haven't actually tasted one (laughs) with the bow Uh, i I, i've been lucky that i've tasted a lot but it's usually not me uh, taking one down it's uh you know my dad his hunting partners i think you even know some of uh, my family's hunting partners and uh, they're fantastic elk hunters and you know sometimes we'll go up uh, north like northern alberta and come back with two three elk and so there there isn't a shortage those years um, but lately like now that i've had kids i'm basically staying around my kind of home turf and trying to get in day hunts like mm-hmm. you know 45 minutes away from my house which is fantastic that there are hunting opportunities that close um, but it's uh, it's a grind when you're you're trying to get in long september elk hunting days and you're uh just driving out for the day basically grinding out all day coming home so that you can be uh, up in the morning to look after the kids or whatnot so that's an exhausting hunt man and we we've had this conversation before about just how long the days actually are it's almost when we did camps it was almost like a two-day hunt in one because you'd go out for the morning up super early like you said to get to your spot and then and then uh well come back whenever who knows sometimes it's afternoon and then maybe if you have time catch a nap and then you hunt and it's you're you're up till by the time you cook dinner and stuff you know 11 o'clock 11 30 sometimes and then that morning comes pretty early so it's it's uh it's a grind it's a grind yeah it is <laughs> but it sounds like you guys at least your your crews have had some success um with you being there too which is i mean increases increases the drive to keep going back 
that's nice to see. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like my family and their group, like we always get animals through with the group. Um, I do, like I said, I do a lot more hunting on my own now. So I'm happy if I take one animal with a bow a year, and then I usually take another one with my rifle. And, uh, you know, if I can get something else on top of that, I probably will. But, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not greedy in that sense that I need to like have a, a freezer brimming to the, to the <laughs> edge just for myself. But it's, uh, it gives me the opportunity to share a lot with other people as well. Yeah, yeah, that's super rewarding. Sure. Well, that'll roll right into our next uh, burning question here. If you could, uh, if you had to choose between archery or gun hunting for the rest of your life, what what route would you go? Yeah, no doubt, uh, archery. Nice big archery guy. Eh? What kind of bow are you shooting? I, uh, I'm shooting a Bowtech Revolt now. I used to. I had another Bowtech for about ten years that uh, served me well and. Yeah, like I just, I love the challenge of it. I love the uh, opportunities that it gives you, just extends your season so significantly. Um, most of the time I'll still switch over to rifle during, uh, you know, when November comes around just because I'm not, I'm not like a glutton for punishment. Yeah, I, I still pick up the rifle every year. Yeah, right on. You guys have a pretty big archery zone down there too for white-tailed deer, I believe I I, I mean, I, I don't know much about it, but I always see guys talking about it. Steve Eklund, he talks about it quite frequently or showcases it. Uh, on... Steve lives in the in the Edmonton Bow Zone, which is like a, a pretty large area around like Edmonton. And so for anybody that lives in Edmonton, if you uh, aren't a bow hunter, you're traveling quite a bit uh, to go hunting. Uh, if you can get permission in the Edmonton or Calgary Bow Zone, uh, it's pretty fantastic. Uh, permission's pretty hard to come by just it, it's tight like there's mil like you know you've got a million people in a city and there's uh, a ton of those are hunters and people get overwhelmed yeah. like all the uh, acreage owners small parcel owners around uh, the cities just get they get hammered with uh, requests and it can be pretty tough so if you do get uh, a good permission treat those treat those landowners nicely and uh, hopefully you can maintain that for sure um okay we'll roll into our our next one here if you uh are you a bit of a fisherman uh i was i was a lot when i was younger like i fished all the time with my dad and family um i've taken a bit of a hiatus and my kids are starting to love it now so like last year i got my uh, daughter uh we were using some flies uh, that my dad tied we were just sitting in a kayak using her you know, a little fisher price rod and she was catching trout uh, out of a bc lake and she was just in heaven like she seems to have the patience for it and uh she's six now and yeah so we're we're just trying to figure out um we don't have a boat anymore or anything like my dad always had a boat growing up now he's he's kind of switched over to just the fly fishing and uh um, paddle boats and things like that just for going on its own into different lakes and so we don't have a, a boat right now, so it's uh, making it a little bit more challenging to find uh, good fishing opportunities. So I gotta, I think I've got to bite the bullet and become, you know, the parent, right? Like, you know, I always, <laughs> I'm a 40-year-old uh, man-child, apparently. Like, I, uh, I, I like when my dad has all the gear that uh, yeah. can can take us out fishing. But um, yeah, I gotta, I gotta kind of pick up the slack and get back in. So if you had one species to chase after for the rest of your life, what, uh, what would you be going after? In Alberta, I'd probably say uh, walleye, like for for lake fishing. Anyways, that's what I typically do. I haven't I haven't got big into uh, fly fishing yet. Um, I just don't have don't seem to have enough time. Uh, it's kind of spread thin enough as it is with uh, trying to kind of maximize hunting opportunity, and mm. uh, it just seems to I don't know. 
there just isn't enough time in the day to pick up another uh, sport which has world class fly fishing. You know, fifteen minutes from my door. So <laughs> <laughs> crazy. We uh, we appreciate the walleye out this way too, for sure. Yeah, big time. Yeah, we have a pretty good walleye fishery out here. And it sounds like you guys fish them the same as we do. Like I'm hearing you guys talk about pickerel rigs and stuff, and it it, it just brings back uh, memories of sitting with my dad uh, and and brothers, you know, out on northern Alberta or Saskatchewan lakes fishing fishing for walleye. So yeah, it's not a, always the fanciest gear that we're hitting the waters with. We're I mean, lots of jigging minnows and stuff like that. So we're putting putting fish in the freezer and having fish fries and stuff like that, and it works. So. I think that's what makes it attractive for a lot of anglers, though, is that there's a lot of versatility to how you can pursue a walleye in Manitoba. You can do it with a pickerel rig, like you alluded to, a jig of minnow, a, you know, like a hard bait, like a, you know, either a rapella or like a jackal. You can do soft plastics. People catching walleye on the fly, you know, like there's, uh, yeah. I think the fishery is just really healthy, is what it comes down to. It's not as healthy here in Alberta, to be honest. Um, you know, some lakes it's coming back, but yeah, it's uh, struggling in others. Um, but yeah. yeah, and they're just a great tasting fish. I like eating them. Yeah, you guys have uh, a, a draw system or something for some of the lakes up there, don't you? Yeah, we definitely do. Um, yeah, so you can put in for tags in a couple of the major lakes. Uh, there's other ones that have size limits. There's other, uh, there's different ways that they kind of restrict um, cake, I guess, Uh and like I said, I, I haven't been fishing enough uh, variety of lakes lately to, to know the details. Like I'm mostly, you know, there's a couple of them. Did I make it through? Is that five questions? You got one more coming down the pipe here. And we're going to step uh, out of the out of the outdoor world for a second. And uh, and I'm not too sure how big you are into music. But if you had one final concert to go to, who are you going to go see? So I'm not like a huge uh, audiophile. Like I'm not. Uh, yeah. But. I would say probably maybe the Tragically Hip. I kind of missed out on any sort of uh, farewell tour uh, that went on a couple of years ago. And um, yeah, I think that would be a great concert. It's a good pick, man. Solid pick. I did line up going to the show in Winnipeg when they were doing that tour. And it was uh, it was just a phenomenal show. That was actually the first time I'd saw the hip. Um, I'd been meaning to leading up to that. And then the news with Gordy broke. And uh, I made a point of, I, I did crack open the purse strings and pay for a ticket there. But it was, uh, it was a remarkable show. And I think it's, yeah, I think you're spot on in the sense that like it's just a, a piece of Canadiana or like Canadian history in some ways that uh, that you can experience that is uniquely ours in some way. Um, the states it seemed pick- to bring a lot of people together as well. Like it just seemed like everybody kind of got the importance of uh, you know those last shows and those uh, those different performances and and um, you know shows at city squares and stuff like that, highlighting you know just the live live feeds and stuff like that. And it just seemed to bring a lot of people together. Totally, totally. Not that you'd want people together right now, but (laughs) (laughs) maybe six feet apart. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So you made it through the five burning questions and, uh, that was, uh, you know, it's always interesting to hear the responses from our guests. Uh, Everyone's a little bit unique. So, uh, it's great to, to hear the diversity there. And, uh, but leading up to that, we're kind of chatting about like your experience outdoors and, uh, just, uh, I know our, view, our listeners can't see it, but above your head there, you got like a, a moose rack with a, a mule deer rack sitting atop it. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's pretty cool. And uh, we kind of talked about your archery hunting here, but like, where did you really get your start for being outside and uh, connecting with, you know, either fishing or hunting? Was it, was that your father you kind of mentioned? Uh, yeah, definitely my dad. Um, and then his hunting partners as well. Like, uh, they were kind of mentors as well. Um, as we were talking before, we do have some some common people uh, or people in common uh, in the hunting world. And, and one of my dad's best friends is from Manitoba. And mm-hmm. it sounds like uh, he knows a couple of, uh, well, he knows your dad and yeah. uh, his brother is good buddies with your dad. So, you know, those guys, um, yeah, they, they're the guys that kind of raised me in the hunting world uh, in that sense. Um, and yeah, I, I just always relied on them and they, they took me out and and you know, taught me what's what, uh, miles who, um, who you guys know, his son, Josh was my age as well, or is my age. And so we grew up hunting together. We took our first years together, uh, you know, with that group and, and continued, you know, hunting into our twenties together. And then we've kind of since branched out, have our own families now and are kind of, uh, all hunting a little bit more independently, I suppose. Um, I find yeah, it's family. I find that so funny that, that here we are, I'm 32 now, Tristan's 30, 34. And, uh, you know, we're talking to you and you're sitting over in Edmonton and we're we're just, oh, you're in Calgary. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So, and then, uh, and we're now learning that we've both been, had some sort of influence by uh, essentially one of the same people in our lives. Yeah. And we're sitting two provinces apart in the outdoor world that's amazing yeah i actually found that quite interesting uh listening to some of your guys's other podcasts because there's uh similarities like i can (laughs) i can feel i can feel the manitoba influence on me from (laughs) through through miles and trophy night and you know just a lot of the, the terminology that you guys use it just uh it it reminds me a lot of miles and dale and uh those guys and just like totally and like um it's funny because, like, yeah, Dale is uh, definitely, like, our most, I say, mutual connection. And uh, we, we actually refer to him as, and yeah. uh, he's been a huge influence on how we hunt, too, uh, and uh, how we experience the outdoors. And uh, to think that, you know, on our side, we, we, we would hear stories of him going to Alberta and just being in, like, this paradise of... Uh, wildlife and being able to hunt moose and elk and mule deer all in the same location and we're like grabbing our hair here back in Manitoba it's like <laughs> where is this place and like how does this exist and how are you able to hunt all these animals in one one spot but uh yeah it's kind of funny to think that uh provinces apart and uh but yet now we're back here at a podcast together and you're running a uh you know an outdoor app and we're running a outdoor podcast here um, it's, uh, the, the hunting community is quite large, but sometimes it's quite small too. Yeah. It's important to find those connections and figure out like where, where you do have those common, uh, I don't know, common references or common, uh, experiences. And in our case, it just happens to be, there's, there's actually people involved that we've both hunted with and spent time with and had an influence on, uh, our hunting lives. And so, uh, like if you were thinking back, like, um, do you have any real like memorable hunts like you could relate to? I know personally when I think about uh, myself, I think back to, you know, chase that moose hunt. We, well, both our moose hunts really, uh, our first moose and then moose hunt we went on with Sheldon there and we were mm-hmm. able to uh, fly into a remote lake. Um, 
just honestly some of the most formative experiences in my life, I would say. But, uh, Mark, you... Yeah, like, I haven't done any uh, fly-in trips like you guys have, and um, a lot of... I'd say my hunting experiences kind of have two... There's, like, two sets. There's, uh, like, with my fa- with my dad and his, his hunting partners and those kind of trips, and they're very memorable. Like, I have so many great memories, uh, you know, dragging deer out with Josh or... Uh, Miles, who is Dale's brother, uh, you know, he helped me got got my first big buck and, you know, just, just going through that with him. And, um, yeah, it's just like a, a memory that I have with Miles that I wouldn't, that I don't have with anybody else. It's just like, mm-hmm. these guys had a very, uh, big impact on me. Um, and then I've got the experiences say for the past 10 years where, I'm hunting almost always solo where, you know, I'm putting all the work in, I'm uh, setting up tree stands, trail cameras, scouting out areas, really getting to know uh, parcels of land, parcels of public land, private land, um, and just putting in the work. And I find that although I'm not spending, I'm not always sharing those experiences with, with somebody, like sometimes I am, I'll call buddies up if I, if I have a moose down or if somebody gets a moose down, I'll go out and help them. But spending the time on your own doing that work is uh, a different level of satisfaction or um, just accomplishment. And so, yeah, it's like a different set of memories. Like, you know, the first bear that I got uh, in the backcountry, like, you know, three or four kilometers from the road and just you you just got to pack it out. Right. It's mm-hmm. just you. So uh, it's late at night. You don't call anybody. You just pack it out or um yeah, or same thing, you know, I got that moose that I was telling you guys about. And I, in that case, it's just like, yeah, no doubt. I'm calling all my buddies and they're coming out. And uh, <laughs> I met a random hunter on uh, one of the range roads, like side roads going in. Like I went out for lunch because, you know, I've got a moose to, to take care of. And uh, somebody pulls up and he's got a quad in the back. And it's just like, hey, man, how's it going? What are you doing this afternoon? And he, <laughs> And he came and he helped me pull out my moose and then he helped quarter it with me. Like just fantastic. You get a chance to meet a bunch of new people and um, yeah, just new memories. For sure. What was that transition like, like kind of shifting from like a very camp or like a, you know, group based model to that very individual style kind of hunting? I'd say pretty transformative um, in a, in a number of ways. I get a fond eye hunter um it wouldn't have come about if i didn't take that uh kind of self-learning step i guess um you know because i was new to the area new to new to the calgary area from a hunting perspective and just hadn't hunted down here and you got to start putting in that work and figuring out where all your zone boundaries are what you can hunt what you can hunt with where um and there really just wasn't any good solution for that at the time this was 20 uh, 2012, like the hunting season of 2012. And, um, yeah. And I, I had just started bull hunting and trying to figure out, uh, you know, where I'm going. And so that taught me a lot, like it, not, you know, it's spawned eye hunter. It, uh, kind of kicked things off that way. Um, but just the number of skill, like the, the things you learn on your own is just so much more, um, I guess like entrenched in you, like when you learn something on your own that somebody else hasn't like, you know, just kind of casually mentioned to you or, or whatnot, it gets, uh, it gets really ingrained in you and you, you understand the why and the, um, the real how things work as opposed to just like, you know, 
your dad or hunting partner pointing something out and you just like maybe don't think too much about it you haven't put that work in that thought in Mm. to figure those things out have you had any real aha moments while you've been out there alone kind of contemplating things I'd say like elk hunting is one of those things that uh, I elk hunted with Oscar and my dad and uh, his hunting partners for, I don't know, 10 years up in areas where they were getting elk all the time, but I would never like go with them. I didn't like, you know, tag up with them and just like, I I should have been shadowing them and like actually seeing how, uh, how the whole calling uh, system went. But like, I think at that time, I just loved being out and I loved being out on my own. So even though I'd have the camp atmosphere with with everybody, like that was fantastic. I loved that. But when it was actually hunting, I would just go out on my own and I would just like hike places and glass and look, you know, look for animals. And I wasn't calling, which was, you know, looking back on it, just like, you're, you're a complete idiot. <laughs> they're all telling me you got to be calling. Like, that's how they're getting animals. I'm not even seeing elk. Yeah. And like, I just did that year after year. I loved it. Somebody would get an elk. I would show up. I'd help them gut. I'd uh, process the the animal with them. I loved it. I would never get anything when I hunted with them (laughs) at that camp, like for elk hunting. Yeah. But it was my favorite trip of the year. It was sitting around bullshitting with the guys that you like, most of them. Miles exclude. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> just having a good time and spending time away from, you know, daily life. I think things have shifted a little bit more. Like I like that. It's great, but I like the hunting. Like I like, I like sitting in a tree for 12 hours. I like hiking into the backcountry and actually calling for elk and having like this last season, me and a buddy, we, I think we spent eight days in a, a 12 day season um and we had eight different bulls within like sub 100 yards for sure and just screaming at you like mm-hmm. just an absolute blast having giant bulls come in i sat in a tree i was calling from a tree stand and i had two different bulls like on either side of me 50 yards for one i could i could see it thrashing but i couldn't see its body and then the other one on the other side of this meadow screaming at it and finally one comes out but i can't tell if it's a six point we're in a six point zone which is absolutely infuriating because uh, i had many shot opportunities on smaller bulls but on six point bulls i just had these two opportunities and it's hard like it's hard counting those times in like a, a pressured situation where you might have a shot but you don't you don't you can't like a hundred percent say say you've seen that six times like it's just a mass a mess of kinds you know in and amongst a bunch of poplars and you got to make that split split uh second decision i can i can definitely relate to that um we don't have any antler restrictions where we hunt uh it's any elk but in the archery season but uh the last year we went out elk hunting there and we tristan and i got tangled up into a a very um like a mature bull and we were actually able to get him out into an open meadow there for a, a few seconds and i had an opportunity that i could have i could have arrowed him if he would have stuck around long enough but unfortunately he took off but um no idea how many how many points he had all i knew it's he, like a blur sometimes yeah right? like he, he was like holy shit that just happened but yeah he was I, a, he was a uh, 
big bull. Can't quite make sense of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was a big bull, and it just you had him out in the open, and the shot opportunity came up, and it's you weren't focusing on on uh, counting points. You're just trying to get an arrow in there. Yeah. But. On that same uh, little outing, like those same eight days, we also had uh, a pack of wolves. Just like we were, we were hunting all morning, calling, and we weren't getting any answers. And every other morning, we're getting like consistent answers, and uh, usually like an actual opportunity. And this morning, we're just not getting any. And then the wolves start, and we're like, "Holy shit!" It was probably you know ten-ish wolves, and. You, it just echoed through this valley, but like they were pretty close. And you're sitting there with a, you know, stick and string. You could just hear these, this group of wolves, and you know exactly why the elk aren't there, or well, why, why they're there and not answering, right? Is because they're not, they're not dumb enough to to give up their location at that point. Even, even peak rut, uh, you know, the presence of wolves has an impact. Yeah, they they get pretty tight lipped when those those wolves come around. That's for sure. Man, I get pretty small when I'm on the ground with a stick and a string, and there's wolves or even bears around. I've I've run into my fair share of bears on the ground elk hunting, and it's just like I've, I've my heart rate has risen listening to a coyote bark at me from like 15 yards away. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, close distance like distance amplifies experience, right? So like if you have the same thing at you know 200 yards versus 20 yards you're gonna you might soil yourself right like <laughs> just curious mark from uh like we rarely hunt any elevation the highest point in our province i think is about 3,000 feet above sea level what kind of uh elevations are you traveling through out there for elk hunting and stuff like that i'd say there's uh as much as you want i suppose like there are uh elk hunting opportunities where you can yeah you can get deep into mountain units and and do some hunting but um there's also lots of opportunities in that kind of foothills area where yeah you might have some elevation uh you know getting into an area or going up and down um, valleys but like fairly accessible still like you know a couple kilometers from good road kind of thing um so you don't have to be too deep there's also tons of opportunities in the prairies like the the elk are a lot of different places like they're uh south south and in and around calgary in the the calgary bozone um there's a lot of elk like there's a herd of probably 1400 1500 maybe and um and the, there it shouldn't be that high right like it should be it, its capacity is probably more like 800 or like the t- the tolerance level of um people in the region but um Again, we, we get back, I think we were talking earlier about like permissions and access and it can be difficult to get access in those areas, um, especially because, you know, with, with a, just a bow, it can be pretty hard to get in on these herds, um, especially after the snow falls, like once it's, uh, you know, crispy snow and they can hear you from, from a mile away, like, oh yeah, it's can be challenging but there's opportunities everywhere there's um we've got elk a lot of places in alberta main reason i was asking because i have intentions of going out uh <laughs> for a mountain hunt with a buddy of mine out there but um i'm not too sure when it, when that's going to pan out but i'm terrified as a prairie guy to go out and and trek those mountains with the 60 pound pack on and i just want to yeah <laughs> it, it, it... <laughs> Like definitely, like if if you choose to do it, it's where you choose to go, right? Like there are opportunities that are not as grueling, and there's other um, 
there's other ways that you can access as well. Like, uh, you know, I don't have access to horses, but um, by bicycle, I've gotten a lot of places by bicycle that um, would take you longer to get to. Like, it's not like you're uh, gaining much, like, in terms of climbing elevation or anything on a bike. Getting a little further back where there might be um, just a little further away from roads, um, there might be like, you know, a single track uh, quad trail or something like that. And, you know, you can't, you can't, in Alberta, you can't quad before um, a certain time uh, for hunting purposes um, in certain areas. And so get on a bicycle or, you know, a lot of guys are doing the e-bike thing as well, gets you another uh, way to get somewhere with, um, you know, without burning yourself out before the hunt even starts, right? Like, you know, doing that early morning, pre-sunrise bike ride, uh, it can be a little sketchy sometimes, but man, <laughs> is it nice to be able to get in there uh, a little bit earlier? And even like, I'll set up stands in in the backcountry as well. If I um, even for elk, like lots of times there's uh, lots of routes that um, they're taking that you know they're taking, and if you happen to be in your stand on the right day, uh, you can get a good opportunity. That's awesome. Those bikes probably shave off uh, a bit of time too from the from the commute compared to uh, hoofing it in there. Especially on the way back on the downhill. <laughs> yeah, I guess for sure. I hope you're not cruising up there with your elk rattling, rattling horns on your back the, at dusk. Oh, you just you just uh, revealed yourself. You don't rattle for elk, man. <laughs> well, I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just teasing. But yeah. But I mean, uh, we were talking earlier about um, kind of the elk camps and our mutual connection here and... Um, it it kind of seems like, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts too. Like the as hunters, we kind of we learn from our mentors, and in this case, a lot of times it's our fathers or, or their uncles. Um, and then we we kind of we're trying to take those lessons and then apply them to the modern world here, or we're trying to kind of like bring our own our own lens to the the hunting landscape. And uh, when uh, you first reached out and were asking me to uh to beta test that iHunter app here was something that was just coming online from Manitoba. Um it seems like that's really one of those tools that is, you know, indicative of the twenty first century and uh how we hunt now nowadays, right? In a lot of ways. I, I agree, yeah. So what what was the impetus for or like kind of the the driving force for iHunter when you started out here? You kinda of hinted at it but we never dug into it. Yeah, definitely the uh, start of it was uh, scratch your own itch, like uh, trying to find, like I had a problem. Um, I solved the problem. I'm a computing scientist. I've been, I was programming um, iOS and Mac apps at the time and um, like at a, you know, at a regular job, a nine to five and um, trying to solve my own problem kind of thing. And uh, once I was able to do that, like very quickly I saw that people wanted it, um, that people were interested. And I've told this on other podcasts or whatnot, but it's like, I actually went into just different, uh, like Bass Pro and, uh, Cabela's wasn't here at the time, but we'd go, I'd go into outdoor stores and I would just go up and start talking to people. Like I'd walk up to random people in the hunting section and just like, Hey, how's it going? Would you <laughs> use something like uh, this? And I had like these little cards printed up and just have a discussion. And I think in like a six week period, um, yeah, I think we got 3,500 users, like paying users signed up. And I just realized like, hey, like if if you're going to make a like take a stab at this, there's actually people interested um, 
you may as well go for it. And I was just really lucky that my uh, my work let me go down to three days a week so I could dedicate uh, some time to it. And then, you know, I didn't have kids at the time. So, it, you know, I could go full out, um, you know, just sitting beside my wife all night, like, you know, you're watching your shows or whatever, but instead I, I'm just programming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, just like it, it was a bit of a grind, but um, yeah, once you get something that is out there and that people can actually look at, um, you take feedback. I, I think the bit, the biggest or the best way to like improve any product is just ask your users what they want more of or what they want to see or what's missing or what's not working. And then, uh, try to iterate on that. Um, and yeah, it's worked, worked pretty well so far. For sure. And so like you've managed to kind of tap into a need here in Canada, which is like, we don't have a lot of great access to either um, maps or location services for hunters, but also like it's super accessible in the sense that you can get it on all these app platforms, right? I can, I can get it on my Apple iPhone. You can get it on your, um, you know, your Samsung, that kind of thing um, through the app store. But like, w- what is the essence of iHunter? Like, what are you really providing for folks here? Uh, I would say the, the essence would be uh, boundary data mushed together with regulations, uh, all working offline. I think the offline part is the biggest component for most people. Um, the fact that almost everything is like baked into the app. So if you're somewhere without cell service, it doesn't really matter. Like your, your blue dot's still going to show up on your phone. Um, you can pre-cache uh, satellite maps, roadmaps. You can select a region so that like you have all those maps on your phone. So when you leave cell service, you don't all of a sudden have like a non-functional GPS device. Um, You've got all the regulation data is built in. So you can see exactly what and where you can hunt different animals. Um, And then we also like link in with all of the official um, PDF documents from the province, et cetera. So that like we, well, cover our, cover our ass as well but like we want people to have um as good reliable information as possible and so we're just trying to like amalgamate all the hunting relevant stuff for different regions and package them together in like a convenient and quite frankly inexpensive um package totally inexpensive and like i'll tell you like the um one of the areas that i derived the most value from uh almost immediately because i was on early with the app i would mm-hmm. uh like almost immediately when you're fishing out here you know you can kind of be on the borderline and sometimes and i know you provide a disclaimer in your your app that you know this isn't authoritatively um you know you should still consult the regulations for example and stuff like that when you're using the app but i was it, it was almost um more effective than what the province was able to provide because they're only able to provide a static map right so iHunters linked in to my phone and I'm able to see my live location so I'm able to tell what um, in our area it's called a game hunting area or like what wildlife management area or whatever you're in and I can link instantly to those regulations so I know what my fishing limit is in that area almost instantly um and what, well, sorry, I'm going to just interrupt. Like, we don't show fishing limits, but um, yeah, like if, if you have a particular boundary that is relevant for fishing, you could use that boundary as well. But yeah, like I just, 
we get lots of questions like about fishing as well and it's just another animal to tackle right and like we've got our hands full with the uh the hunting side of things um so we just haven't stepped into that arena but i can totally see how it would be relevant and and uh, at times, yeah, very effective. Totally. And here's a pro tip for the fishers. Like I still use the, the app for fishing because I'm able to tell, for example, which side of the, the highway, the relevant highway I'm on through the app. So I'm able to tell what fishing zone I'm in, for example. Definitely. And, um, and other ways that you could use it, like uh, if you have like a hydrography map or whatever, like a, or sorry, what Beth. The, the, the lake maps that show the depths and stuff, like you can get those web maps online for different lakes. Mm-hmm. And if you have those uh, um, tile server URLs, you can add those into iHunter as other layers, right? So you can add in uh, new topo maps or new satellite maps or uh, basically any web map that you can find online, like a WMS or a TMS web map. You can add in your own layers. So... Really, like you could you could build onto iHunter and add on your own data if you wanted. You could make your own fishing zone map or or whatnot. Like there there's kind of like we we definitely try to provide a lot of uh, flexibility and allow people to customize that. That's incredible. I, I remember when I first started using iHunter and it it quickly became like one of the most valuable apps on on my phone and you're still adding value to this <laughs> to this thing for me and i remember it, i i use it lots uh when we're kind of prototyping there and then and then uh still use it lots for for years and then i met uh keevan erickson and he's a huge eye hunter advocate and he was very familiar with a lot of stuff that that lots of the features that that you had there and and like kind of shame on me that i never actually took the time to look into what what was actually available and and the and the uh what you could do with that app and man keeping open my eyes to like a whole new world with it and it's yes the one of the most valuable apps on my phone one of the most valuable um tools in my in my hunting kit to be honest with you i like turkey hunting in the spring i use it i i almost had it on the entire time i was in the turkey woods Mm -hmm. so well, that's awesome to hear. I, I definitely like hearing that feedback. And yeah, Keevan is a, a power user for sure. He's He's been <laughs> providing us a lot of uh, feedback, which is great. And we're going to be um, asking for more of his and your guys' feedback as well from uh, some of the new features that are coming out specific to Manitoba. Cool. So that's one of the things like with the app is we've got the base app and we, we try to have like the same functionality across all the provinces, like the the like the same features instead of in terms of like breadcrumb tracking, being able to draw and measure, being able to add uh, new base maps or new map layers, that kind of stuff that applies to kind of all provinces or states. And then on top of that, it's like the data specific stuff. And so we're trying to build these data packages that, um, that help people more in more ways than just showing them uh, what hunting zones they're in. In a lot of provinces, we've got things like land ownership maps, um, public-private lands layers, um, conservation layers. Um, yeah, just showing a bunch of different detail. And that's what I'm working on right now for Manitoba. And it's going to be a slightly different package than some of the other provinces. But I still think that what, what we're able to release now is going to be really good. Uh, but what we hopefully will be able to do within the next uh, near future uh, will be even better. Like in, I, even at the front end here, I remember thinking like, 
I was looking at, for example, Garmin had just come out with their Rhino, and I thought that was like the, the, the cat's ass in a lot of ways. Like you could not only did you have this GPS, but you could like communicate via walkie-talkie, and you could share your location with uh, with you know your hunting padres. But it seems like, and I, I don't want to be make too bold of a claim here, but it really seems like what the iHunter platform is trying to do with being able to communicate with your friends, with being able to work offline, like without internet connection and still being able to source all that kind of like map data is that you're, you're essentially moving away from a, like a GPS unit and towards that's Sheldon's move, by the way, yeah. <laughs> uh, but moving away to, to, towards, you know, almost like a, like an iPhone or like a, you're using your phone, basically GPS now. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think that most people are moving that direction. Um, if you have if you have cell coverage, uh, I would say that yeah, it's a replacement for all of those devices. Like you can even a Rhino, like the Rhino devices. I don't know. I haven't really kept up with them, but I know that Miles and Dale and uh, some of my dad's uh, hunting partners used to use them lots, and they were really great. And the advantage of those was that you could see the location, and that was based on radio transmission. So. If you could get a radio signal from one uh, device to the other, you could know where partner was. And I think that was, uh, especially for its time, it was break like breakthrough. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Uh, iHunter can do all that stuff, but it does need a cellular connection. So like the locate, like we've got a live location broadcast in iHunter. So you can add your four or five hunting buddies to your uh, kind of group list or whatever, and you can share your location out to all of those. You can decide... You want your location to share out every 10 seconds, every 30 seconds, every 30 minutes. Like it depends on the granularity that your hunting party really requires. Like, are you doing it for safety purposes? Are you doing it for, uh, because you want to be pushing, pushing bush, uh, to drive out some whitetails to your partner that's waiting and you want to see when he gets into position, all those kind of things it's functional for, um, but the that location sharing aspect of it does require cellular connection. So there's a limitation there that phones do have. Some devices, um, they have that extra data channel, like whether that's over radio or whether it's like one of the new Garmin devices that's uh, got some satellite uh, communication. So there's different tools for the job, right? Like I still use an inReach when I'm in backcountry. I never use it. Like very rarely, I, you know, I send a message occasionally to my wife, like, yeah, I'm okay. I've got, got to my spot or uh, don't expect me back because I got something down or whatever it happens to be. But it doesn't get used very often, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's more for the exception, exceptional times. Um, whereas like, yeah, iHunter, I'm pretty much using it all the time. Um at least when I'm exploring new areas. I use it a lot more when I'm scouting than when I'm actually hunting. When I'm actually hunting, you know, I've probably put in that legwork ahead of time where, you know, I really know an area. But still, if you decide to get off of, uh, away from kind of your known area and are just going to, you know, try something new for the day, um, yeah, it's nice to be able to pull that up and have pre-cached satellite and topographic maps and really be able to go explore. Just to expand the uh, the conversation here a little bit too, uh, on the abilities and capabilities of uh, of the app, you you mentioned uh, breadcrumb tracking before, so that's for just to clarify for people that are listening that that maybe don't know what that is. It's it's pretty much just like a, like a track on a GPS, just a different format of it. 
Uh, yeah, very similar. So you can just hit the track me button. It's part of the Pro Tools. So just pricing wise, the base app is like $5. Pro Tools is another $5. So currently for the Manitoba app, there's only $10 worth of stuff you can buy and they're all one-time purchases. So lifetime, yeah. <laughs> lifetime for $10 kind of thing. Um, and so that track me feature, uh, once you're tracking, you know, you can save your track or whatnot. It'll give you your altitude profile, your velocity profile, show your track on the map um, so that you can follow it back the next time. Uh, you can choose different icons for your tracks, things like that. Um, they're kind of similar to a waypoint as well, right? It's just, it's got more data. It's got the the actual track where you walked. And we, we try to get that really quite accurate in terms of like as long as your phone is reporting those gps locations uh we're going to do a really good job of keeping like high fidelity data um a lot of the the handheld gps devices they work and they store your data but uh especially on the older devices you know memory wasn't um yeah like there wasn't a ton of it extra and you know you did you could they couldn't store the the level of detail that maybe you can now. Right. Even even interfacing or like connecting to other map databases was extremely. It's still rather difficult with a lot of the the handheld GPSs that you would get. Now. Still very cumbersome. Yeah. yeah. Like it can be a process, and like you know, it can be de- a deterrent for a lot of people, or a deterrent for at least uh, updating things. They might get it one time and have it working, and then uh, <laughs> yeah. never touch it again because you know the hardware cable that came with the GPS device. There's no longer a port for it. Or like, <laughs> yeah, the, you know, the, the thirty-one so pin different. cable. What's that? The thirty-one pin cable or something, just like yeah, that. exactly. Like I know nowadays that you know there's hopefully we're not changing too much, but you know I said that about USB and now it's uh, USB two and then USB three and yeah. USB C and USB yeah, like so many different connections. One thing I learned learned when I was turkey hunting there, I, I had a lot of time when I was sitting around waiting for just calling and waiting to kind of play around and and try and learn my way around the app a little better, but you're the uh the live direction feature too was unbelievable i couldn't i couldn't believe how accurate that like as soon as you turn your phone it's showing you where you're pointing pretty much and like coming from a guy who i i use gps's quite quite often and it, they're always like a couple of seconds behind and then you're looking at the screen and it's like okay i'm actually pointing that way or is that did it just point that way because it didn't pick me up properly kind of thing but uh, I was really impressed with that that directional um, sensitivity on on the iHunter app. That's awesome. I'm glad that you had a good experience with it. It can be a flaky, uh, not a flaky feature, but the data that comes from your phone can be rather uh, inconsistent. And so, like we do a lot of processing of the data to try to filter out the garbage, like filter out the stuff that's coming from your phone that isn't that relevant or it doesn't actually. It's not totally valid, and so uh, we we definitely do some work there to try to try to get that working a little bit more consistently and smoothly for people. But yeah, we call that the compass mode, and um, yeah, like you can use that if you're navigating to a waypoint or uh, down a track or something like that. Uh, especially if it's like if you're blood trailing or something, and you've put on your track me feature and you've plotted that on the map, and now you're trying to figure, okay, well, where didn't I go? Or where didn't I check? Um, you know, that can help help guide you to those areas that you might have missed. Uh, yeah, and it, it's definitely useful. Um, right. A lot of people will use that as well for if they're driving. 
there's the compass mode. There's also the follow me mode, I believe it's called. Um, and so if you're driving and you've got her on your dash or whatever, and you just want, you want the app to follow your blue dot. So like blue dot stays centered while you're driving so right. that, you know, as you see a, a animal on the side of the highway, you can quickly check, you know, what zone is that? First of all, what are the regulations there? Uh, would I be able to uh, stop and go try to find permission? And then once you've got, you know, you, you see that you're able to hunt that uh, legally, uh, you know that the, there's a, an open season for that. You know, you have a tag, like a general tag or whatever for that area. The public land subscription that we're just uh, kind of releasing now um, should help people uh, be able to figure out, okay, well, can I can I actually hunt there? What What's access? Like, right. do, is it public land? If it's not public land, um, what is the property identifier for that parcel of land? What's the boundary for that uh, parcel of land? And once you have that property identifier, you can actually pull a land title, for example. You can do that on your phone in most cases. Uh, so really out in the field, it opens things up a little bit where it makes it convenient and quick to kind of figure out, uh, yeah, where and what you can hunt. Yeah, that really shortens up the process because in the past, you'd have to have your map, <clears throat> go home, go to the phone book, find find the dude's phone number and go through that whole process and i've seen you hold the map upside down on one occasion too <laughs> <laughs> one uh yeah I... so land ownership maps are, are something that i do want to get into so uh there is a company in manitoba that handles basically all of the land ownership maps uh, repro map who you guys have probably uh dealt with before yeah um and we are trying to work with them, and it's going fairly well. And if we can get them on board, um, hopefully for this season, that would be fantastic. Uh, that would be, I think that's like, you know, top top tier solution for most in terms of uh, land ownership. If we can integrate all those maps and offer them for purchase inside of the app. That's a game changer, man. Big time. It's uh, it's yeah, that, like in Alberta and Saskatchewan, that's been that's been the feature that stands out for most people. Um, a lot of the older generation, like say my dad and Miles and Dale and Oscar, uh, you know, I, when I presented iHunter to them originally, none of them were really impressed. To be honest, they were just like, "Oh, I know where I hunt, and I know my my zones, and uh, I know what's open where." And they weren't really weren't really keen on the idea, kind of like Mark, don't quit your day job. They mm-hmm. literally said that to me. <laughs> and uh, but once once I was able to get land ownership maps, they were just like, like, yeah, I, this is game changing. It will make a big difference for a lot of people. So it's really been remarkable what you've been able to offer too, and at that price point in a lot of ways. Because if you look at our. Uh southern cousins there and the uh, some of the map based systems that they have offering like onyx is obviously one that you think of and you know that's a very um subscription based service and what iHunter is able to offer even at this moment here with uh, the single purchase i found i find just immensely valuable in uh what you're able to get and how you're able to use it and uh, i i'm very excited to see how it it's going to continue to evolve because uh, obviously Onyx hasn't been able to to you know update what they've been able to offer up here, for example. So uh, I'm really glad that there's a Canadian company uh, able to step up and 
into that role. Yeah, like I, I appreciate that support. Um, I know that yeah, like Onyx is a big name, and they're a, a different they're a different company than us, right? Like in terms of like we're a small family company. I hired my brother a couple of years ago, who's also a computer engineer, and he like he holds the ship together in a lot of ways in terms of um, a lot of the development stuff. Like I'm doing a lot more of the uh, data end of things, the boundary data, the automation of just like integration of all of these different components. And Chad's working on a lot of the, um, the new app features and bug fixes and a lot of customer support and stuff as well. But we are a really small shop. Like, you know, all in all, we've got between two and five employees, depending on the time of year. Like we, we take some part-time employees to do, certain certain tasks and things like that whereas as far as i know onyx is like you know <laughs> over 100 employees and they raised 20 million dollars a couple of years ago so it's like different different uh different size company different agendas maybe as well like maybe the market size in canada just doesn't make sense for them but mm. also the type of data that they can get in Canada is uh, much more disjointed than what is available in the U.S. Um, in terms of land ownership information and privacy. Mm -hmm. And it's just not like a lot of the provinces do not make it uh, feasible for a private enterprise to get access to private land ownership information, at least at, at any sort of reasonable price. It's just like not really possible so you really have to, you've got to partner with individual counties and so you've got to do the legwork of partnering with individual counties like in saskatchewan there's 296 different rms wow. <laughs> so you've got to actually make get agreements in place with all 296 rms and maybe that's just not something that a big company who um, relies on open data is, is as willing to do that being said, like we 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 do have some states uh, as well in iHunter. We've got six states, um, and we're we're also building these uh, public-private land subscriptions for some of the states. Like we just finished up Montana, which is Onyx's you know home state. Uh, so maybe it's not the best one to like really try to break into uh, in direct competition. Was that them, a warning but, shot across uh, the bow? Not, yeah, exactly. It's like, come at me, bro. Uh, but at the same time, the data is so available down there. Like they, yeah. like the states want you to use their good private property boundary data. They make everything available. I was able to do like the full subscription in a couple weeks' time. Um, we just released it. It's got full property information. Um, for every parcel of property in the state, uh, it's got all your public land stuff. Links out to all the regulate, like all the uh, state and federal um, regulations for different parcels of land. Like it's it's really compelling. Like I I've looked at some of the Onyx stuff just out of curiosity, um, just to see how things compare. Like I very rarely look at competitors' stuff just because like that's that's not not really the best approach for like meeting your customers needs. I find the best way to do that is like, just listen directly to your customers. Mm. But you know, sometimes people do say like Onyx has this and it's like, Oh yeah, that's cool. We can look at it. And if it's uh, feasible to do, we can add that in, but it's not like our core. Um, our core intention is not to be like, you know, looking at other people's products and like, mm -hmm. you know, stealing features or anything like that, but looking comparing like what they offer for private property, um, and public lands information like 
ours is pretty compelling and half the price so it's like yeah i i hope that it can get some traction i like that man it's it's super attractive to me because um we'll say one day i have intentions of of possibly traveling to montana or a southern state or even if i do make it out to alberta you know i now have a familiar platform that i can that i can download the data from and uh and having all that data accessible and going into a completely unfamiliar area is I, the, the worth in that is unbelievable to me because like when you enter a brand new uh, province or state or whatever it may be, and it's, it's almost overwhelming to think about like, okay, where do I start here? And um, even just on the Manitoba side of things, I, I hunter does a great job of like, uh, highlighting some of the WMA stuff and and it's it's provided great information for me just to double check or or to uh, just to offer a different option for me if if one of my spots doesn't work out and I need a a backup to go to or you know I want to check out something new or maybe I didn't even know there was uh, public land there you know it's mm-hmm. it's just it just opens up your options so much more and and having that that um, the knowledge and the the security knowing that you are on the proper piece of property that you're supposed to be on is is worth every penny yeah i couldn't agree more and uh yeah onyx has done a great job in the u.s uh, but for canadians yeah like i definitely i hope that uh like we're we're definitely focusing on canadian provinces is our like primary focus um we do like we we do all the same stuff in the U S and we put in all that same effort, but, um, yeah, like, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Canada doesn't, we all often play second fiddle to the U S in terms of like getting good solutions to problems that, um, all, all of us are facing. And I, I appreciate that people are willing, uh, willing or, or wanting to support a Canadian company. And, uh, you know, that makes a big difference for us. Yeah, and I think like I, I we won't beat a dead horse here, but I think like I, for me the the uh, the comparison is quite uh, stark in some ways. Like uh, with uh, with iHunter, you're getting a, a program that's developed in Canada for Canadians. You're getting Canadian data, and then you're also able to um, you know your business model is clearly uh, revolving around how to best serve the customer. So um, and it's 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 really shown through like being there from the inception in some ways while well, in Manitoba being there inception in Manitoba, but it's shown through and all the way through. So it's just been wonderful to watch the app evolve and at the same time, just remain com- super competitive at a price point. So appreciate the service. I'm, I'm curious though, like what challenges have you encountered as you continue to expand the app or as You've mentioned, like, for example, Saskatchewan's got a, a ridiculous amount of, uh, you know, counties or municipalities that they they have to coordinate through. Like, what what, what are some of the really, like, behind-the-scenes challenges here that you face putting as you continue to expand iHunter? Yeah, I'd say the biggest challenge is the differences between jurisdictions. Like, nothing's – there's no standardized anything. Um, every province does things drastically different, has different sets of data available, different – uh, costs of data some are some are completely free and they just like have awesome systems to get you every piece of data that you need uh, some are <laughs> less up to date um, 
infuriating to deal with and some just like don't supply it at all like we still can't do a newfoundland app just because they they won't provide us the uh management unit boundaries um manitoba it parts of it are like part of the data availability stuff is um okay uh they there's challenges in terms of how up-to-date things are and how um additional information on data and stuff like that it's a little bit hard to to get answers on some stuff um there's large parts of large pieces of data that are just completely missing like general crown land like just a a a layer that actually shows all of the parcels that the crown owns in the province doesn't exist for the public at least um i know that it exists in internal um I've seen the data, like, you know, I, I know that it exists. I, I just can't can't use it, right? Uh, so that's a little bit um, frustrating because you know it's there, you know that they use it, you know, they rely on it, but they don't expose that to the public. And I, I understand why. The, the, the why of things is, is always confidence. They don't, maybe it was uh, all the data was put together 22 years ago like it probably was it's pretty good Um, yeah pretty good bet that it was (laughs) yeah i think it was from the like the 1998 public lands um anyways there there was a a process in place and i don't know all the details but you know i know they have the data and i i really want to work with them um on exposing that data to hunters like i mean people in every province deserve to know where they're allowed to go um freely on crown line and i think that if we don't provide access to that data it just it defeat or it like goes against all the hard work people are willing to put in like i know that people want to hunt legally and do not want uh to accidentally trespass like nobody wants to like the worst my worst uh fear hunting would be if i thought that something was public and then the landowner came out and was like what are you doing you can't be here like i would you know, pretty upset, right? I so can feel my I face turning red can... right now. <laughs> What's that? I can feel my face turning red right now just <laughs> thinking about seeing do you, someone. Do you own land or do you uh, accidentally trespass? <laughs> More, I, I don't know. I don't own enough land to hunt on. I'm thinking about the landowner coming up. Hey, buddy, you're on private property right now. Maybe. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that would suck, right? Like, yeah. um, but ultimately, yeah. I just, I, I wish that. Um, Things were a little bit more open, a little bit more encouraging for like private enterprise or just like an individual. If an individual wants to put the effort into like um, amalgamate all this stuff, great. It's a ton of work, and if you're willing to put that in, that's awesome. I'm trying. I'm trying to kind of like pull all this together and make it really affordable for people, so that people don't have to do all that legwork. Um, but it is, it's definitely a challenge. What I would like to do is summarize like, uh, kind of where we are at with like this public land subscription, the layers that we have, and then maybe, maybe just get your guys's uh, initial feedback on like what's, what's missing, whether it's valuable, and, um, maybe even what you guys think we should charge. Yeah. You guys okay if I go through like the eight layers that we're going to provide? Let's dive into her. Yeah. We've got the time. Oh Yeah. Cool. Well, like, yeah, so we're, we're planning on offering this public-private land subscription. Um, so we're going to have layers such as huntable public parks. So that would be provincial parks that actually allow hunting, uh, filtering out the ones that don't. In the uh, no hunting zones or hunting restricted, hunting restricted public lands, we would have provincial parks that you're not allowed to hunt in. We would have 
the two WMAs that you're not allowed to hunt in. We'd have ecological reserves, uh, wildlife sanctuaries uh, specific to the species um, that has a restriction. We would have a community pastures layer. Uh, I can't remember how many there are, but like 10 or 11 or 12 or something like that, uh, which, you know, are pretty, pretty open for hunting. You do have to contact the, the pasture manager, which we do list all that information so that you can contact them. Uh, we've got all the boundaries for the provincial forests, which in general uh, allow hunting. There's some overlap of provincial forests and uh, some of the, the hunting restricted public lands, but we do map those as well. Um, and then we've got uh, public shooting grounds, which are another type of, I, I asked Chase about this as well, because like there isn't much information on them online, except that they do exist. And uh <laughs> They've been in place for nearly a hundred years. Um, they're pretty entrenched. Uh, and basically they are just uh, crown land that um, has a little bit more legislation around them and protection. So like they shouldn't be taken away from the public at any time um, without, you know, some legislation changes. Um, and those are like, in a lot of cases, those are along shorelines and are, you know, along uh, lake beds and things like that. Um and then the two remaining layers, uh, one is the cadastral layer. So it's um, for southern Manitoba, like basically the populated area of Manitoba. It shows all the parcel data for the for the province. So it's the property boundaries. It'll do uh, the quarter section or like the legal land description uh, so that you can actually quickly grab that. So if you're, you know, translate, like giving that to somebody like, hey, I spotted a, uh, a poached moose on the side of enter a legal land description there. You could just tap on it and get that information. It would give you your property, uh, your PIN, like your property identification number so that you could pull a land title off that. Um, it'll tell you the type of um, how that property was mapped, like whether it was actually mapped or whether it was just uh, based on like theoretical uh, boundaries of quarter sections, uh, acreage, all that kind of stuff. So that you can see those boundaries and you can go have a conversation with that landowner and say, okay, so do we agree that this is the property that you're giving me permission on? Um, you can highlight that or what, whatnot, uh, add notes of the landowner on the map so that you could record his information, uh, um, that kind of stuff. And then the last layer is uh, the northern theoretical uh, quarter sections. So that's like all of northern Manitoba um, is split up into quarter sections, but it's not like actually surveyed or anything it's just like theoretical lines um mapping all the quarter sections so it's the same as the south except that it's less relevant for most people so we'll pro we're going to default that one to not visible and you'd have to go turn it on if you wanted to see it um but yeah those are our eight layers so far what's missing is general crown land and i know that sounds like a big miss for something that is a public lands subscription um but it is what it is at this point. Like we we know a lot of that data, um, and we can we can build that ourselves. But we're we're working on some partnerships first to try to figure out if we can get that um, data in a more sustainable way, like something that actually you know continually gets updates, et cetera. So I think our first version we're gonna have to release without that. Um, but it's still I I still think what what's going to be offered is going to be valuable but i definitely want to get some feedback i think there's some value there for sure even even in the data that you're providing or you're you're um, going to be uh bringing forward here 
in in the map layers and stuff um i look at this like even the the additional stuff that you provide and it's just it not only adds to like hunters that are already doing it but it's it's like an attractive thing to bring new hunters into which is which is like great for revenue great for you know uh bringing the numbers back and like I don't know why it should be so hard to get that <laughs> that public yeah. lands lab map layer. Oh. If like how I mean, obviously government uh, run around there, but but a little bit of accessibility, a little bit of security for new hunters is what you're saying here. Yeah, Mark, mm. I think one of the interesting things that you're doing here, and maybe that you haven't noted, is that to me it seems like you're offering on top of your map package here. Is it? It's there's almost a layer of advocacy. I don't want to use that word if it's going to submarine your uh, your enterprise here. But uh, you, what you're essentially pushing for is publicly available data uh, and publicly accessible data on where you can hunt and like universally in some ways, right? Like let's make this available to everyone so that you know people can access. Everyone has all the knowledge on where they, and yeah. I, uh- I agree. Like level the playing field a little bit um, using technology just so that like new people, because it's hard to find a spot to hunt. Like I think that universally that's one of the biggest reasons why there's like, uh, like a uh, difficulty to get into hunting is just like, sure. You figure out all the, the, what I'm going to hunt with, where I um, get your hunter, uh, hunters training, all that kind of stuff. But you know, actually, where am I going to go is a big question that a lot of new hunters just don't have an answer to. Yeah, yeah. And there's, I think there's a lot of places out there that, that go unknown that are public lands. And, and uh, unless you really dive into it, you don't really uh, get that knowledge. And and that that's a bit overwhelming sometimes for people. And uh, it would certainly yeah, open up the access. I think, I think the question... Yeah, so... Go ahead, Mark. I, I was just going to uh, say about advocacy, like, yeah, I'm not like a political person by any means, and I'm not going to try to uh, advocate for, for certain views. But I think that um, like openness of data is like a, it's like a computing science uh, mm-hmm. issue as well, right? Like it's mm-hmm. like having open source software. Like I don't have open source software, but I'm very open with people um about discussing what we do, I'm open about the data formats. I can talk to people uh, about how to how to get your data out of iHunter so that you can import that into um, like your GPS device or something like that, or import your GPS device into iHunter. Uh, and I really, yeah, I do hope that um, jurisdictions do become more open with their data. Like some provinces, like British Columbia, for example, is just like all open. Everything that they have, they, they've got up on their open data portal. You know, there's a few things that are restricted or whatnot, but you can usually talk to them and get access if, um, if you make a good case. And it, I, I think that if they realize uh, the effort you're putting in and the, the effort to maintain um, quality and update frequency, like as long as you're going to keep things updated, there might be a little bit more flexibility. And I, I'm, I guess I'm trying to build that relationship uh, with Manitoba, but it's it, it's also hard. Any anytime you're dealing with um, any province, it's hard to get the right person because um, many people know about it, many people have an opinion about it, but who's actually going to be able to affect change? Mm. And that's a very difficult thing to do, especially as somebody out of province. 
Mm-hmm. The interesting thing for me, though, is that you're having these conversations because, like, often as hunters, when we're looking to access either whether it's landowner data or crown maps, um, we're doing it for very specific purposes and, like, often for our own hunts, right? And we're not trying to do it in a systematic way or a, de- a database-style way. And, but by you having these conversations where you want to share a database with folks really shifts the tone of the conversation to let's make this information publicly available so everyone can access it. And like, there's a level of accountability there too, right? So people can reliably access not just information from iHunter, but that information from the province or the provinces, for example. So I think that's, maybe it's not hard advocacy, but I think there's some soft advocacy maybe built into what you're doing here with iHunter and uh, ensuring that, you know, there's accountable and public information for folks. Uh, I just wanted to point that out and I appreciate that from your business model. Awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, I have a question for you guys. Have you guys tried uh, the iHunter website, web.ihunterapp.com? I was, I think, on there a couple months ago. I can fire it up right now. Oh, you don't have to. I was just curious, like... um... Because a lot of people don't know that it exists. Like, you know, I was talking before about, like, what's the tenants of iHunter and, like, uh, offline capability on your mobile device is, like, the main thing or, like, one of the main uh, features. But a lot of people want to do e-scouting at home, not on their phone, right? So oh. we did uh, we did spend all of last year building um, the website, which is web.ihunterapp.com. And it's actually free to use. Like, there's no... Um, you don't have to pay to use it. Uh, you just log in with any um, email address or Facebook account or Google address or whatever. And uh, yeah, it'll give you all your GHA boundaries, all your WMA boundaries, reserve boundaries, all of the um, season dates and summaries for every zone in the province. Um, I'm on it. Drop... Are you? Awesome. All my waypoints uh, are on here. What's that? All your waypoints <laughs> are on there? Yeah. Like yeah. Don't screenshot that. Same account. Yeah. If you log in with the same account that you use on your mobile device, uh, all your waypoints will sync. So you can do all your e-scouting at home, mark all, all your like spots that you want to check out on your next um, scouting trip. You can do drawings on there, whatever, like draw drawings and measurements. So you can like plan routes into areas and see how, how long they're going to take, all that kind of stuff. So you can do a lot of that setup, and then when you get on your on your uh, mobile device, all that data is still there. Amazing. Yeah, that that does sound cool. And Mark, I think the other thing that we appreciate is that like there's there's a lot of tutorials for iHunter available. Like, so you're again not just making the information accessible, but you're making how we use the information accessible uh, as well. And like, what's like, what are some of those key features maybe? Cause I, I'm thinking about like Chase, for example, showed me how to cache maps, you know, the other year. And that was just, that was a game changer for me. Right. Like I was like relying on data a lot of time, but now I have all these, like all my hotspots now cached on my phone. And I, I even got a phone with a lot of extra, uh, hard drive on it so i could cache maps <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's awesome uh yeah the cat map caching is really huge for most provinces in canada because like most provinces where you're hunting there's areas at least where you're not going to have cell reception so you gotta you got to address that and a little bit of pre-planning makes makes everything work a lot better if you didn't pre-plan um 
most of the app is still going to work, but uh, parts of the satellite imagery might not show up if you zoom in um, too deep. Um, the drawing and measuring is a feature. It's part of the Pro Tools, so it's that extra five five bucks. But like um, being able to draw routes and measure in order to like kind of figure out approaches and like uh, figure out how long something's going to take you in the dark to get there, what whatnot. Um, I think that one's pretty useful. We added um, in the drawing tools. You can also use rectangles, so you can figure out acreages of areas if that's uh, important to you. We're just working on altitude in the drawings right now, and I think that one's going to be really good. Uh, so Chad's working on this right now. It should be should be available for the fall for sure. But like if you draw um, like a freehand route into an area, it's maybe a like a little bit less relevant for you guys if you don't have huge topography. But like if you're hunting a mountain unit and you're trying to figure out like you got your topo map overlaid on top of your uh, satellite imagery and you can see your lines but topo maps are sometimes tough to read the idea here is that you draw your path in and it'll give you like a bunch of um kind of like key points on that line that you can tap on you can get the individual altitudes but it'll also color your line based on difficulty so as you're going up like a steep area that part of the line would actually be like a different color than um, slopes under a certain uh, grade or gradient or whatnot. So we're, we're trying to work that in so that people can actually make plans, not just based on, you know, horizontal distance, but also is there a cliff there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you yeah. get a cliff out or, or whatnot. So. <laughs> yeah. One, one thing I was using the app for, I, I obviously use it quite a bit turkey hunting this spring, but uh, when I was, I was kind of hunting in a new area and, and I was basically using the map to follow open meadows to try and find turkeys this spring because yeah. turkeys frequent like open meadows. Um, I was in a, a cattle pasture, so they, they like the kind of pasture land, but I was I was planning my, my route based on, on the, the meadow linkages, we'll say, through the, the turkey woods, which was an amazing thing to be able to look and see where you're at on that map and where I need to go and the potential um, just spots that could be successful for me. Yeah, I know exactly like exactly what you're talking about because I do that for moose hunting as well. Like um, you'll find these marshy areas in the midst of all these uh, forests and lots of times at least there you can see, uh, you know, see a hundred yards in front of you or whatnot and uh, see the entire perimeter of that uh, little marsh and yeah, you just have a lot more opportunity to actually spot something. Um, and yeah, by using the satellite imagery in the field, like you're not gonna you're not gonna remember that from home. Like, oh yeah, there was this one little clearing, uh, you know, half a kilometer that way or whatnot. But like by having the satellite imagery right in front of you, it definitely makes it a little more uh, possible. Oh yeah, big time. Margaret, I gotta ask you because I've you know just been rolling through the the map caching as of late and. Uh... Do you have a favorite map layer, like, or a favorite map database, like, to use when you're using iHunter? Yeah, so like, yeah, in the uh, settings, like, we supply. I think it, depending on iOS or Android, it's anywhere between eight and ten maps, um, different topographic maps. Um, but usually, what I do, like, it'll say whether they're cacheable or not, right? So the the Google and the Apple maps are not cacheable. So what will happen is you, if you look at an area on those maps. Some of that will be cached by Apple or Google, but they don't tell, like, they don't give us any detail into, like, where or how they store that data or how long they're going to store it. So 
you can look at an area, it might get cached and you might be good to go, but it might just clear on you as well. Like you're not in control of how Google or Apple does their stuff. So the ArcGIS maps that we include, um, you can pre-cache those. So you, um, it says that they're cacheable. So I think we only right now only include one cacheable satellite map. So if you want satellite imagery, that's the one you're going to use. And then you uh, can bulk select your region. Um, so you go manage cache, add region to cache, and then you'd select your region and it'll, it takes a while to download all the data, but it'll um, cache that onto your phone. So that's the one I use when I'm um, going into an area that I know I don't have uh, cell reception. If I know I have good re- reception, I'll, I won't even worry about it. Like I'll just toggle mm-hmm. between maps to see what one gives me the best in that area because different map providers um, have different levels of detail in different areas. Like a part of Northern Manitoba might be terrible on Apple Maps. Like it might have cloud cover or mm-hmm. give you winter only uh, satellite imagery or something like that. Whereas you switch to Google and it might be, they might have summer imagery that was updated last year. So it really depends on where, where you're hunting and you're going to have to just check, like look, toggle between the different ones and see which ones um, provide what you need. But if you want uh, cached maps, use the one that we have in there that says it's cacheable. Um, alternatively, you can find other maps online. There's lots of them out there. Uh, we, we don't have, um, you know, licensing for all of those maps to be including them all. But if you want to add your own, you can totally do that. And we do have tutorials online that show, show how to add those map layers. Uh, you were you were asking before about tutorials. We have some. They're not awesome. Like they're they're pretty bare bones in terms of like, you know, it just screen captures and text showing you what you're doing. But it's not like yeah, they're just they're not super uh, like charismatic. Like trying to teach you a bunch of like it's it's very to the point, which some people appreciate, but some people are like, I want to hear somebody talking to me, and so. And both Chad and I hate the sound of our own voice, uh, so we don't really want to do the voiceovers, but uh, maybe we'll have to start doing that just to like uh, make it a little bit more, I don't know, user-friendly or whatnot. Well, thanks for braving the podcast and uh, uh, coming on a strictly audio-based platform. Uh, oh, I don't hear myself, though. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm going to listen to this? No, <laughs> yeah. No, and and the, the ArcGIS one is the one that I've been using. Uh, I've definitely been busted on the couch just at times, like on a Netflix. And uh, like, what are you up to? It's just like, oh, <laughs> just caching my maps. It's like, <laughs> what's that even mean? Don't worry about it. I'm just like adding <laughs> data. Don't worry about it. And then I guess the one last thing I'd say for uh, just like a feature to highlight would probably be um, – the waypoint sharing. So like, you know, we talked before about using the participants list, you can uh, broadcast your location, but just the ability to push individual waypoints to uh, your hunting partners or a hunting group or, or just like, you know, you've got different groups with different level of like trust maybe. (laughs) So you might want, you might want to push uh, all of your real spots to your close group. Yeah. And then you might want to push your like uh, <laughs> the B spots. <laughs> yeah, your B spots are like the you know just something else to uh, to that guy that you don't like so much. <laughs> and, keep, keep him out of your area. Yeah. Keep him out of the. A yeah, spot. no, I just mean like it, it is useful to be able to just like 
quickly push like the the where are you button or whatever and just say like you can either send out an email with your current location so I've used that a ton like before we had the live location sharing and the uh, waypoint sharing through chat I used to do it by email all the time like I'd get to my my spot or I'd get in my tree and find my location and shoot it off to um, a small mailing list I usually had like one hunting partner and my wife um, just saying like, Hey, this is where I'm sitting for the day. And if I'm not home, like tonight there's an issue. So, or if I haven't gotten, gotten in touch with you again and I'm not home, there's an issue. And just like having that level of um, yeah, just security of being able to say like, this is where I am. Like if I have an accident, you know where to find me or here's where my truck is. Like I used to always leave notes on my truck and stuff like that. Just like a general note to anybody that might be in the area saying like, you know, I'm on a day trip, I'm hunting this lease, um, maybe not my specific location, but just as a in case, right? Like mm-hmm. in case something happens, but with, with iHunter, you can kind of automate that a little bit, like set things up that you know who you want to send it to and just like fire off an email or, uh, um, or an in-app message to, whoever needs to know that information. Oh, it's huge peace of mind for, for family and, and friends. And, and it would hopefully never come to it, but would certainly help mm-hmm. for any sort of search that would have to partake or happen. Um, having that, that actual data on hand to say, this is where the last known location was, is a huge piece of uh, information to have when the, yeah. the- the accessibility of it all is also super helpful. And even just, even within the app, I know, Chase, we've shared waypoints. And it, like, instead of having to punch in, you know, 13, 14 different numbers, you flick me a waypoint and I know where that stand is Yeah, instantly, for example. So it's not, it's not this giant computing game anymore. It's just, uh, it's a matter of you communicating to me almost via text in some ways. Um, where the this waypoint is, and I can instantly store it in the same app that you sent it to me, right? Yeah. Which is super helpful. Yeah, that's the goal. Like, we definitely want to make it usable. Um, I know that there are instances where, yeah, things aren't completely discoverable. Like, you do have to spend a little bit of time with the app, but that's that's kind of anything that you... Anything that's moderately complex, you got to spend a little bit of time learning. And I, th- I think that once you spend, like, I hope people will spend just that amount of time to just realize what the app offers, because a lot of times people spend $5 or they expect, you know, they expect an app to be free, but they'll pay the $5 and then they're like, well, what does it offer? It doesn't, it's not uh robust enough but you you got to actually look and find the features like there's lots in there but it's not all in your face right like it's um maybe one button click away or or whatnot Mm -hmm. how's how's that angry customer voice go again mark (laughs) which angry customer (laughs) voice was i doing one (laughs) the the, uh why is it not all accessible (laughs) yeah exactly there's a there's a, a an interesting amount of um like customer feedback like we we get a lot of really positive customer feedback but every once in a while there's like a really funny uh like bad one like you know somebody's pissed for whatever reason uh it's yeah it takes like a a little bit of a lot of patience to to reply to to those emails with a helpful Mm -hmm. demeanor Mm -hmm. uh but like they definitely happen and you know it's it, it provides a little bit of levity to your day as long as you don't take them 
like to heart and like to, to it don't let it drag you down yeah. when there is a negative but i mean most of the time if there's a negative there's a valid reason that we need to address or that we need to at least explain to somebody and then usually once um it's been explained there's not really an issue mm-hmm. and that's why we kind of find it funny because sometimes people will be super pissed about something but it's just because they we didn't make it obvious enough how to do something and they thought that like, you know, we're ripping them off, like we're false advertising or something, but it's just like a matter of um, discovering how to do something. I've got to ask you, since I got you sitting here, like um, developing this app and putting it out there for hunters across Canada, like has there been any like really in your mind, any rewarding or experiences that you've had interacting with folks that have really stuck with you throughout this? So many. But are you able to like, draw- yeah, like an unlimited list. Honestly, uh, I like, so trade shows are an example, like, um, like anybody in the hunting industry, you go to, you go to some trade shows every year. Like we try to do two, two shows a year. This year we did one in Saskatchewan, which was basically the last show, um, run before COVID shut everything down. And, um, were you going to go to the Yorkton one? Sorry, go ahead. Were you going to go to the Yorkton one? Cause that's where we were screwed out of it by COVID. Yeah, I went to Yorkton a few years ago. I really liked the show. Um, I split a booth with uh, a TV show out of um, Edmonton that year. I I wanted to go to it. We definitely wanted to do another Saskatchewan show, but because we did the, what we did this year was the rural municipalities. Um, It's the SARM convention, which is because we're trying to get all these uh, rural municipalities on board with licensing their land ownership maps. Um, Like I said, there's 296 of them. So a little bit of FaceTime went a long way at a show like that where they just want to meet and they want to see that you're like you're a real person selling them a real product that actually has value and you're not like some fly-by-night business like people want to shake your hand although (laughs) at that that event I wasn't shaking too many hands I was (laughs) because it was like yeah it was peak pandemic almost like it was the two days before it was declared pandemic I think so it was a little bit on edge, a lot of people. But anyways, back to the question about like um, any interesting like uh, impacts or, or whatnot. And I think just hearing like we get a lot of emails of people like updating us on their hunting seasons. And it, it's fantastic to, to get that kind of stuff where you actually made an impact on somebody's hunt. And maybe like in some cases they're they're giving you credit for um being able to find an animal or get access to a property or um something along those lines and those ones are super rewarding like when chad and i get those kind of emails like yeah it it definitely um brightens your day and like makes you realize that um the the hard work and sleepless nights sometimes actually is paying off for quite a few people and you're having an impact on um like you're you're playing this small role in many people's hunts even if you don't get uh out as much as you want to do that year because you're actually dealing with server issues or something that went down or something that you want to improve that season while people are using it and so you don't you might not get out but like when you actually get feedback that you've helped a bunch of people yeah like that that that's the dividend right there you're you're i don't sorry i I don't have like a a super strong example of like one specific instances you're almost like a digital guide in some ways then you get to uh, you get to see the payoff of your work and you 
I, I can only imagine how rewarding that would be to hear folks sharing their story with you about uh, this, their successful harvest or their memories coming in and uh, how you played a role in that. That would be, uh, I know Chase, you spent some time guiding and, uh, you know, often you liken it to just like uh, being just as exciting as harvesting your own animal, for example. So uh, mark the fact that you're able to connect with such a wide range of hunters across Canada would I could imagine the impact would just be uh, very rewarding in some senses. Yeah, and I definitely like it when it ends up building a relationship out of that. Like there have been a lot of like hunting friends that I've met um, because of iHunter, whether it's uh, people also in the industry and like you're meeting up at trade shows or whether it's in a lot of cases it's customers. And um, I've had cases where somebody has emailed in and saying like, you know, I'm trying to check out this uh, – parcel of leaseland um and it happens to be a parcel that i hunt like all the time and so there's been plenty of times where i've just been like you know what uh i know this area really well i actually have two stands on that quarter you're welcome to use either of those stands these are their locations but i'd like a text message uh just letting me know which one you're using or when you're in there so that we don't like step on each other's toes and like ruin each other's hunts build out of like a a goodwill gesture end up being really good friendships like i've i've made really good friends that way or similar ways just by reaching out to people that's pretty remarkable in the the uh the hunting community and just to see how it kind of eventually all blends together in some way um well because you oftentimes you hear about the negative like you hear about the cases where somebody's in their stand and somebody else comes walking through the forest and ruins their hunt and everybody's upset or like uh there's too many cars at the trailhead and people whatever like there there can be conflicts right and Mm -hmm. i just find that there's there's actually enough space for everybody to hunt no matter what the situation and you just have to communicate a little bit about it and if you meet a bunch of people at the trailhead uh just decide where you're going like i've done that a ton ton of times just like okay well i was planning on working this area can you guys you know stay in this other section of the quarter or section of the section or whatnot well we we certainly appreciate all the work you do not just with the eye hunter but how you're you know you're continually pushing here for uh you know increased access for folks and um increased information for people and, well, uh, and vice versa. Like I, I, re- I've really enjoyed uh, catching up on your guys' podcast because I hadn't, I hadn't uh, heard of Panoramic until Chase reached out to me. But like the content that you guys are putting out is, uh, yeah, it's quite good. Um, a lot of entertaining guests. I've, uh, I found quite a few of them. Um, yeah, just easy to listen to. Uh, one example, uh, I think her name is April. Yeah. April Willis. She just like seems to have like an energy or like a passion for hunting that comes through. Like it, it's oh, yeah. uh, it's this audio medium that you know you're just talking to people over the internet or hopefully in person at some at some points. But um, yeah, like a guest like that who you can just tell like lives and breathes time in the outdoors and it it just comes through well we're glad you picked up on april because uh like if uh any of the folks listening here uh want to take notice the april is just a true amb- ambassador for the outdoors and if you want to follow her on instagram there either uh april willis or huntress outdoors like just an absolute huntress, huntress health i think huntress health sorry yeah yeah um 
just an absolute leader in Manitoba for uh, not only archery hunting, but women's hunting and like uh, all. Big fi- into fishing lots. Into, like, yeah. it's, it's, I, uh, it's one of the accounts I frequent more often and it's always like going on an, an adventure with her because she's up to something almost every day or every second day. So totally. it's pretty cool. It's been the real gift of Panoramic too that we've been able to connect with so many people, I would say. Um, and before, before we say goodbye to you, Mark, thanks so much for coming on, but, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to pitch you on one more app idea here while you're on the show and you let me know what you think and if it's a, it's a feasible app. Okay. It's not Tinder for hunters or something, right? Oh, it was totally Tinder for hunters, but it was Tinder for (laughs) landowners. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no. So you would be, uh you would sign up as either a hunter or landowner and you could swipe left or right on, uh, on whether you wanted to grant that person permission for son. <laughs> yeah. Based on, based on their slutty photo and their uh, profile pic or what? Well, maybe, you know, you provide a little information about yourself and, uh, you maybe you say you clean up your shotgun shells and, uh, maybe, maybe other landowners can leave you a rating, for example. Say, yeah, I totally, I know what you're talking about. And there's lots of people trying to crack that nut right now. And it's, um, it's a super challenging problem. To, to actually facilitate that it's um yeah there's tons of complexity in there ma- mainly in like the validation of landowners is the the biggest hurdle that um i think people are facing and getting that side like everybody wants access to hunting land not everybody wants people totally. like wants to put in effort to manage hunters <laughs> totally. but um it's definitely a feature that uh, there's a few companies that are trying it already um in different provinces, Saskatchewan has one that's trying it. Uh, Alberta has had one trying it, but it's a uh, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll put more thought into it, but it's a very challenging problem. Well, I wasn't actually pitching on it, but it's it's curious to hear that uh, that there's uh, there's work being done in that area. Yeah, almost. It's funny, like almost any major problem has somebody at least thinking about it um, or or trying it, and it's a matter of yeah, actually going all in and trying to execute on the idea and spending the money like spending the time and or money to actually um bring some of these ideas to uh to the market i guess yeah well thanks so much for your work mark thanks for the app uh you know and i i appreciate that you i i truly feel you make it accessible for hunters out there you're 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 trying to provide people with information that's very important for us to be able to do it not only in a legal ethical way, but be successful. And uh, thanks for coming on the show and being a part of it. Yeah, I appreciate the chance, guys. Uh, and just if, if anybody wants to follow us on, uh, I guess Facebook is iHunterApps. On Instagram, it's at iHunterApp. And Twitter is also at at iHunterApp, but we don't really use Twitter very much, to be honest. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting. And uh, if people have feedback about the app, what's the best way to get in touch? Uh, email is probably the best, which is just info at iHunterApp.com or send us an email from inside of the app. So just in the info button in the bottom left corner, uh, there's an email us option there. And that gives us all the details about um, the product that you're currently using. Like, product or province that you're currently using and details uh, about your your phone and stuff so we can actually help you troubleshoot issues if there are issues um and yeah we are looking for feedback on like our what what we just uh, outlined for that public lands subscription we're thinking that it's probably going to be in the 10 to 15 dollars per year um ballpark 
So trying to keep it uh, nice and affordable for everybody, but looking for feedback on that. And if anybody happens to have an in with the Manitoba uh, government that uh, might make it easier for us to get any more of the Crown Land information, uh, please give us a shout. I'm in for uh, 10 to $15 a year on that for sure. So <laughs> got one vote. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right, Mark. Great. Thanks again, man. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Maybe maybe we'll see you in uh in uh elk camp one of these days or something like that. You guys are more than welcome to to join us any anytime you want to come out. <laughs> like uh, probably not this season when I've got uh, a newborn. Oh yeah. uh, my third third kid um, here, but uh, pr- pretty much any time after that, I'd be happy to host you guys. <laughs> cool. Sounds good. And uh, thanks so much. Thanks for listening in again, folks, on this Canada Day holiday. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. And a couple details before we depart. Make sure you guys check out Scalar Up Boots, Quattro Boots, at uh, ecogenics.com, I believe. They are like the Longhorn Dodge edition. edition of rubber boots. They're not just like your regular rubber boots. So they're they're like built for like comfort and quality and can't beat them so check them out they're one of the best and you pay for what you get for exactly you pay for you pay for what you get yeah yeah and you're supporting uh local canadian business that's right don't forget to check out our website (laughs) (laughs) where you can find all our gear on there we got fresh fresh uh camo hats we got fresh blaze orange hats in three different styles and there's actually not much left so if you're going to order something let me tell you about the functionality of that blaze orange hat right there. <laughs> uh, I guarantee you that a hunter can see you from a mile away, but a deer will not be able to see you at all. Completely <laughs> invisible from head to toe once you that's put that a, hat on. Yeah, that's new. That's that uh, new panoramic technology that we put into that hat, right? So yeah, yeah. right on. Fully. And another thing, I'm going to add on to uh, a couple things here too is if you're on that website, our signature sweaters are going to be coming out probably in. I don't know, it's like three to five weeks kind of thing. So if you're looking for our sweater, I know our sizes haven't been there that often. Um, but Check. yeah, it should be all all on there here in the next, probably the next month. We should all be stocked up on those sweaters again. Check back soon. Nice. Is there anything else you want to talk about, Sheldon? Uh, is it over? Did we say goodbye yet? <laughs> no, not yet. Oh. Well, I will say that uh, if you are on my Instagram or Snapchat, please don't send me any pictures of fireworks on Canada Day because I won't watch them. They're quite <laughs> annoying. But happy Canada Day to everyone. Enjoy it. Celebrate your great country. Enjoy the time off, hopefully, folks. Hopefully you're on a pond floating somewhere. Keep your lines tight. Edge sharp and uh, powder dry. See ya. <laughs>